0: you are now listening to the base Shore community church podcast our mission is to connect to god connect to people and to serve the community thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening we hope that this message inspires you encourages you and transforms you our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and jesus enjoy the message well good morning everybody so glad i get to be with you guys today i'm just so thrilled about being here Pastor Joel has been in uh, Orlando all week with my two grandkids, and so he's home recovering. He got home last night. I'm sure he's got some twitches going on right now, you know, from being with my grandkids for uh, seven days in Disney World. But we're so glad we get to be together today. And I just want to say how blessed this campus is with such great worship. How about if you give your uh, praise band a big hand? Boy, Barry and, and Leslie, you got to hear her singing. It was so good. It was just wonderful to hear uh, the worship of the day. And today we have this incredible opportunity that all of our campuses are simultaneously worshiping right now together. And so I'm so glad I get to be here. And I just want to say something about this campus. Rehoboth Campus is an inspiration to all of us. You inspire every campus here at Bayshore because of the incredible worship, the great volunteers. This has the most incredible volunteers, uh, and you have great Great leadership. So, we're just so thankful for you guys and how, what a blessing you are. Our Femic Island campus is about a year old. It's uh, just beginning to, to move into its own, and the Millsboro campus has been around a long time. This campus will be celebrating its 10th anniversary in July. How about that? 10 years. Amen? It's incredible. Well, today, I'm going to do some teaching today, and uh, you guys are in a different series than we are at Millsboro and Fenwick Island. Uh, I'm in a series called uh, Crazy Church People, so we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, and so for our, our, our campus in Millsboro and Fenwick Island, this summer we're studying 1 Corinthians and we're looking at what this text is about and all that, and so we're going to be looking at that today, and I want to read uh, this to you, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 17. Now, here's the thing about the reason we call this series Crazy Church People is because the church of Corinth was full of just dysfunctional, crazy people. They had all these conflicts. They had uh, problems between themselves. They weren't getting along, and they had all kinds of issues. So we call this series Crazy Church People. So we're going to look at the first chapter uh, in 1 Corinthians. We just started this a couple weeks ago, and so we're going to look at this, and we're going to dive in to the first uh, chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I think you're going to find some things that are really going to help you today. Now, if you want to follow along on your uh, on your smartphone with the Bible or if you have your U version Bible with you somewhere you can do that as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 through 17. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, in all your knowledge, because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed." He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, inform me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One says... I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So this is a cool letter. Paul starts out, he started this church, you know, if you want to find out how the church came to be, you can look at Acts chapter 18, the church is formed that way. And so he greets this uh, church with what is called a salutation. Now, let me ask you a question. How many this week you never used the word salutation one time? Just raise your hand. You, never, you didn't use that word. That's not a word you use a lot. You don't say, hey, salutations. You don't say that very much. But a salutation is a greeting so the letter starts that way and Paul gives a greeting he gives his name in the beginning you know uh, modern letters used when we write letters before we had email we always put our signature at the end of the letter in biblical letters uh, Paul put his letter in the name in the beginning so we know the letter is coming from him and he says this Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus now what is an apostle that's a good question what is an apostle somebody said an apostle you know is a is the husband of an epistle that's not right an apostle is someone that is sent forth. Uh, we have the 12 apostles that walk with Jesus, and they witness the resurrection of Jesus. And they were the whole Christianity, all of the foundation of our faith is upon 12 men who visibly saw Jesus rise from the dead and saw him do incredible works. Those are the 12 apostles. But the word apostle, there are other apostles besides the apostles of, that, that follow Jesus firsthand. There are people that were sent forth To go into communities and to plant churches and to change that community. Now, Joel has been sent into this community. Joel was a church administrator. You know, when he first started working for Bayshore, he had an MBA, and he was the guy that helped us with all the the policies and all that. And Joel was that person. He was the smart sort of, you know, he knew all the policies. He knew about monies. He lived on spreadsheets. The boy loves spreadsheets. He just loves a spreadsheet. Give him a good spreadsheet, and he's a happy boy. You know, that was Joel, but this campus wasn't doing so good. We had somebody down here, we had a leader, wasn't working, and we were like pulling our hair out. That's what happened to my hair. I was pulling my hair out, and I was trying to figure out what are we going to do. And one day, we were sitting around a table, and I said, you know, you know, Joel, what about you? And, uh, you know, Joel had said no a lot of times. I couldn't even get him to make the announcement at the Millsburg campus. I couldn't get him to go on the stage. And so Joel had this shoulder tap, and he came into this community, Uh, just a week after his daughter Nora was born, and he began to preach the gospel. And many people in this community have been baptized. This church has baptized over 100 people that have come to Christ since he's been here, and that's an incredible thing. Can you say a big amen? So what is an apostle? An apostle is someone that is sent into a community to plant a church to transform that community. So Joel and the leaders of this church have been sent into this community. I love this community. I love Lewis. I love Rehoboth. I play tennis down here four or five times a week. All of my friends are down here. I love this community. And we had a dream that God would do something great in Rehoboth and Lewis. And you guys are a part of that incredible mission that God has given you. So an apostle is someone that has been sent into a community to change the community. God sends people into our lives to help us. Uh, I have a good friend. He retired from the IRS a number of years ago, and since he retired from the IRS, he became a physical trainer So what he does is he kind of looms over people that want to get in shape and make sure that they're doing their exercises right, make sure that they have the right form when they're lifting weights so that they can be transformed. So God sends people into our life to help us. He sends them into our life to help us to become more like Jesus. the end of the day, the main mission that we have as a church is for us to be transformed and more like Jesus. We want to get Tons of people in this church and tons of people in multiple services. You're going to go above ground one day. You're going to have a great building one day. But that doesn't matter. What really matters is that people in this community will be transformed and made more like Jesus because that is the goal of the whole thing. The whole thing is about us becoming different and becoming more like Jesus. So say this with me. An apostle is someone that's sent into community to transform that community for Jesus. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. By the will of God. How do we know how to find the will of God? Paul, he said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. He had confidence that he was in the will of God. That's an incredible thing to know that you are in the will of God. My favorite movie of all time is is Chariots of Fire. I love the movie Chariots of Fire. I think it came out in 1981, it's about this uh, guy named Eric Little. He was a runner. He was born in China. His parents were missionaries. And uh, if you haven't, how many have seen the movie Charits of Fire? Have you seen the movie? If you haven't seen the movie Charits of Fire, leave the service right now. Go home and watch the movie. This is an okay sermon, but that's a great movie. There's a scene in the movie, you know, Eric Little has become He's a great runner. Uh, He's been serving as a missionary with his sister, uh, uh, Jenny, in China. And she's upset with him that he's become so obsessed with running. And he wants to go in the 1924 Olympics that's held in Paris, France. And there's that scene where Eric misses a prayer meeting because he's been training for the Olympics. And his sister, Jenny, is upset with him. And they take a walk on the hills of Scotland. I've been to Scotland, and I've walked in some of those hills. Beautiful, beautiful terrain. And they're walking on the hills of Scotland. And you can see Edinburgh in the background. And he says to his sister, Jenny, I've been created for a purpose. I've been created for a purpose. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. You know what he's saying there? He said, when I run, I feel God smile on me. I know that I am in God's will. I know I am doing what God wants me to do when I run because when I run, I feel his pleasure. I was teaching up in New York, uh, uh, Rochester, New York, a couple weeks ago. At a, I got to speak at a uh, graduation at a college, at Elam uh, Bible College, and I was preaching to these uh, 22-year-old boys and girls that just finished ministerial training. And when I was preaching, I felt God's pleasure because I was teaching a generation of people that are going to go into the, this culture and change this culture. And, you know, when you're doing what God wants you to do, maybe you're, being, maybe you're a nurse, maybe you're standing in front of students teaching, maybe you're designing a building, maybe you're, you're, you've got some kind of vocation that God has called you to do, and when you're doing it, you feel God's pleasure. I, was, uh, I went to lefties a while back, uh, Actually, Joel and I and Pastor Jeremy went, where there was a group of pastors got together, and we were going to do the axe-throwing thing. You know, they had those axe-throwing things there. How many have ever done that throwing the axe-throwing thing? I'm telling you what, that's seriously hard, isn't it? I mean, I thought, you know, hey, I've been... Well, I saw Daniel Boone when I was a kid. You know, I thought I could just, like, whip that thing, and it would happen. Boy, the first one I threw, I actually missed the target. I I hit a beam on the ceiling on the way to the target... But I got lucky, and one of them just kind of landed in there. I think they got a picture. That's my best shot. And uh, that was absolute luck. That was after about 50 tries, and I finally got that, and I slipped and closed my eyes. Something happened, and I hit that there. But, you know, being in God's will is like being in the center of the target. And so Paul said, I'm an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. By the will of God. It's a wonderful thing to know when you're walking in God's will, when you're in harmony with what God wants you to do. Now here, how do you find God's will? Let me give you a couple little little things about how to find God's will. First thing is, if you don't know what God's will is, pray for God to show you His will. If you're lost, ask for directions. Pray for God to show you His will. And it says this in James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God... Who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Do you notice there the the confidence if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God and God will give him wisdom and give it generously to him without finding fault. You say, well, I'm I'm not a perfect person. God's not going to talk to me. It says he gives us wisdom without finding fault. And, and it says also in Matthew chapter 7, ask in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. So I believe that when you ask God to give you his will, it may not happen instantaneously, but if you're lost and you don't know what you're supposed to do in life, one of the things you need to do, in fact, the first thing you need to do is say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what you have for me to do. And I ask you to give me uh, directions. Number two, If you want to find God's will, first thing is ask God for his will to show you his will. Number two, look at your gifts. Look at your gifts. I'm so glad we're doing uh, Next Steps on June 5th at this campus, in the Millsboro campus, because we have a whole section in Next Steps about how you find what your gifts are. You see, your gifts, what God has given you giftedness in, will always, will always, will always coincide with his calling for you. Now, my son, Tim, I'm really proud of Tim, proud of Joel, proud of Tim. Proud, Tim comes to this campus, and uh, really proud of Tim. Tim is a designer. He designs bu- uh, buildings. He works for Shell Brothers, and he designs some of their biggest projects. And when I have friends come in to visit me, I had a friend this week visit Karen and I, uh, he and his wife from Florida, and we, one night we just rode around, and I showed them the buildings that Tim built. So I'm very proud of my son, Tim, as well as I am, Joel. Now, I don't know, how many of you you have kids and you're proud of your kids? You're just proud of them. That's a good thing. You know, I saw one time a bumper sticker. Uh, I was literally behind a car. I had a bumper sticker. My child was prisoner of the month. I'm telling you, we are just, (laughs) we're just proud of our kids, aren't we? Tim, when he was a little boy, He had this incredible aptitude for building things. You could buy him the most sophisticated uh, Lego set that there was, and he would have it together in a half an hour. He just had this mind, had a mathematical mind. He had a mind that understood angles. He could put things together. So his giftedness coincided with his calling what God had called him to do. And that was a very good thing. I asked him one time, are you going to be a a preacher when you grow up? He said, no, I'm going to be a working man. And uh, so anyhow, that really bothered me. (laughs) That was really, really cruel. But when he was in college, he worked for this restaurant uh, called Sedona's in Bethany. Maybe you've eaten at Sedona's. It's a great restaurant. And uh, Tim was still trying to find, you know, his, his sea legs in life. And so he was working for Sedona's while he was going to college. He changed his, his uh, degree five times on the way to becoming what he became. Uh, and, uh, but anyhow, he was working for Sedona's. And the, we knew the owner. And the owner said to us, the owner said, you know, your son is the nicest, worst waiter we've ever had in our whole life. (laughs) He is the nicest, worst waiter we've ever had in our whole life. You know what? He didn't go in the restaurant business because... His giftedness was not aligned with that. So your calling, what you're called to do. Paul was an apostle. He was a pioneer by nature. That's who he was. He was a pioneer. Uh, And so your giftedness, giftedness, will always coincide with your calling. So first of all, ask God what His will is. Number two, look at your gifts. What have you been gifted to do? Number three, pay attention from the for the the, uh, to the confirmation of other people when you are doing what you were called to do other people will recognize that and will affirm that. And number four, stay in the Word. It says in Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So one of the ways that you find God's will is you are immersing yourself in Bible, reading the Scriptures, reading the New Testament every day. I read two New Testament chapters every day, two Old Testament chapters, and I read read a Proverb every day. That's my pattern. I do that every day. Two New Testament, I just read systematically. And what I've discovered is the more I understand Scripture, the more I understand what God is like in His general will, it helps me to understand how to apply the specific will of God in my life. So those are the things. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then it says he was separated uh, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So Paul, first of all, says who he is. He's an apostle called by Christ Jesus by the will of God and the brother so- and our brother so- Sosthenes. By the way, let me just say this, uh, and our brother Sosthenes. Anybody know who Sosthenes is? How many, how, if you're here today and you don't have a clue who Sosthenes. Just raise your hand. That, that's it. We're just, we don't know Sosthenes. But here's, here's who he was. I'm a preacher, so I know who he was. I had to look it up for the sermon. So here we are. Sosthenes was the leader of the synagogue. So when Paul would go into a Greek city, he would go first to the synagogue. He would preach the gospel there. They would kick him out. He'd start a church. That's this pattern. So what happened was he goes to the synagogue of Corinth, and he preaches the gospel and a guy named Crispus, the first synagogue leader, the synagogue leader then, got saved, found Jesus, was born again. We find this in Acts chapter 18. So the synagogue leader got saved, and then he was a Jesus follower, and then so they put another one in, Sosthenes. Paul talked to him about Jesus, and he got saved. So he's picking off synagogue leaders like a sniper, you know, and so Sosthenes is probably the person that's copying the letter for Paul. And Sosthenes was the synagogue leader, the second synagogue leader of the, of the uh, synagogue of Corinth. And what, look what he says, to Sosthenes our brother and our brother Sosthenes. That's, that's family language, family language. The church is not a group of constituents. The church is not a place where we say, well, we like this, okay, we like, you know, that's pretty good and all that. The church is not supposed to be a constituency-based organization where we look at a product that we like. The church is supposed to be a family the, le- the language of the New Testament is brothers and sisters. So this church, you came here because you liked what was happening. But once God has called you here, you're in family. You're brothers and sisters. Bayshore is not about giving a product that a bunch of people are going to like. Bayshore is about building a spiritual community of people that are committed together to walk with Jesus in our community and to love each other and serve each other because we're family. Can you say a big amen? You and I, we're family. Uh, Paul over here is an accountant. Paul is in my, my men's group. I didn't know who Paul was. He signed up for my men's group. And uh, I just love Paul. He's a part of our men's group. He's, he's, uh, he's got all these great ideas. And Paul and I are brothers in the Lord. Ellis who comes here. How many know Ellis? Everybody loves Ellis. Ellis is in my small group. I love Ellis. And we're brothers in the Lord. Just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, listen, we're family. Just turn right now and say, we are family. Just say that to him. <clears throat> Okay, <clears throat> let me just uh, we are running out of time, so let me just get in. That's like the first couple verses, so uh, let, me, let me just look at another thing. It says those are sanctified, talking to the Corinthians, those that are sanctified and are called. Now, what does that mean when it says, uh, to those that are sanctified and holy? Now, the first thing I think of, I was raised in sort of a legalistic church. It was good for me in a lot of ways. I'd been a mess without it. And uh, but but sometimes we think about being sanctified and holy what we think about is is you do good things and you don't do bad things Now that's that's okay but that's not what those words mean These words what they mean the word sanctified means to consecrate or to set apart for a particular person purpose to consecrate or to set apart for a particular purpose think about a football field in a community you got a football field and that football field is set apart for one specific purpose that football field you don't you don't you know ride motorcycles on it you don't plant tomato plants on it you don't have picnics on it that football field has a unique of all the fields in the community that field has a unique purpose and that unique purpose is they play football on it the bible says that you are sanctified You are holy. You are consecrated. Of all the people in the culture, you have been set apart for a particular purpose. You have a purpose and a a destiny that the Lord has for you. Karen has a a bread maker. She makes uh, fresh bread. And uh, the bread maker, you know, we put on the the counter there, and she makes, uh, you know, different kinds of bread. Now, the bread maker, we don't make soup in it. We don't, we don't make iced tea in it. We don't plant flowers in the bread maker. The bread maker has one specific purpose. That purpose is to make bread. You have one unique purpose. You're special. You're unique of everybody in the community. You are unique. You have been sanctified, set apart for a particular purpose. And what is that purpose? Here's what it says in First Peter. I'll find it here in a second. First Peter says this. First Peter chapter 2 Verse 9 and 10. If you can see this, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but uh, I'll I'll read it to you and then we'll we'll quote it together. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, But now you have received mercy, but you are a chosen people, say it with me, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. So if you work at BB or if you work at Shell Brothers or if you work at wherever you work in the law office or the school, you are in that that culture as a set-apart unique purpose, per, per, a person with this particular purpose. You are to declare the praises of God. You are to, to, to put off the presence of Jesus. Your eyes are to be filled with compassion. You are to be like Jesus. You are to represent the values of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the, of the Lord has different values than the culture that we live in. So you have been set apart here in Rehoboth to proclaim the values of the kingdom of God. You are sanctified and you are unique. So very, very important thing. Then, let me just uh, got a couple more things real quickly here. Let me talk about uh, what Paul says to says to them in uh, in the middle here. Here's what he says in verse four: I always thank God for you because of His grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who called you in His fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Now, here's a big principle. The big principle is the book of Corinthians 1 Corinthians is about Paul confronting them with their problems. They're messed up people. They love Jesus, but they're messed up. How many know you can love Jesus and be messed up? They are messed up. And he's going to confront them with stuff. He's going to talk to them about stuff, but he loves them. And so, how does he start that process? He doesn't dive right into it and say, You got this problem, you got that problem, you got, you know, this is going on, that's going on. He starts by loving them and affirming them, and he tells them what is good about them. It doesn't matter how messed up somebody is, there's something good about them. Can you say a big amen? Doesn't matter how goofed up we are you know, there are some good things about us. And so Paul begins by saying, you have been enriched in many ways. You have all these wonderful things that are happening in your life. God has blessed you. He's anointed you verbally. You speak divine utterances. And he begins by praising them and affirming them for the things that are good in their life. So when you're raising your kids and when you're working with your employees, make sure that there's a ratio of 10 to 1. And the ratio 10 to 1 is 10 affirmations for every confrontation, 10 affirmations for every confrontation. You know, when I, my leadership style is I'm constantly affirming people and loving people and encouraging people. And, and occasionally, I have to pull up the chair, and they have to pull up the chair, and we have to have one of those heart-to-heart talks. But I believe that we affirm first, and when we affirm and encourage people, we have been granted permission to speak into someone's life and uh, if you look at your teenage kids, how many know it's hard to raise teenage kids? You know, if you've got teenagers, that is tough. You know, Mark Twain said, you know, when your kid turns 14, you put them in a barrel and you feed them through the knot, the hole in the barrel. And when they turn 16, you close the knot up. That's what he said, you know. <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's so easy to get fixated on everything that's wrong with your kids. They're doing this wrong and doing that wrong. But I'll tell you how I raised our, our boys, how I raised him and Joel. You know, I raised them with, with lots of affirmation. I encouraged them, hugged on them. I said, you're going to do great things. When Joel came here, his first, uh, first week he was here before he preached his first sermon, he was in his office there trying to find a sermon on greatsermons.com. He's trying to figure out how to do this, you know. We all use that website from time to time, let me tell you. Uh, I walked down this, this stairway and went into his office before he preached his first sermon. And I said, Joel, you're going to do great things here. You're going to do great things. And don't you worry about, you know, if you're not ready and you can't do it because God has called you here. And he got up and he preached and he's got become an incredible communicator, incredible communicator. You know, a lot of churches suffer through poor preaching. And uh, you guys have been blessed with incredible preaching. And if you're grateful for Pastor Joel, would you just give him a big hand right now? <laughs> But Paul began by affirming them. uh, Affirmation 10 to 1. I affirm, I affirm, I affirm, I affirm. And then I've given permission to critique. It's a very important principle. And if you look at uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven churches that Jesus addresses and uh, the seven churches of Revelation. It's an interesting study, but every church except two Jesus began his conversa- conversation with them. Like the church of Ephesus, you work hard, you've got good doctrine, uh, you haven't suffered false teachers to come into your midst, but I have this against you, you've left your first love. Affirmation precedes confrontation. Say it with me, affirmation precedes confrontation. So I could say a whole lot more about that, but let me just get to the end here. Uh, Paul, Paul said, here's the problem. Verse ten, here's the first problem he deals with there's there's division in the church. I appeal to you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse ten, that you all agree with one another, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there's quarrels among you, which I mean is this one says I follow Paul, another says I follow Christ, and another says I, I follow Cephas, uh, and one says I follow Christ. So Paul said, Here, there's a problem. You, you don't, you're not getting along. You're having to, I want you to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, what that means is unity is not based on total consensus of thought. Unity is based on the big things that matter. Like uh, what really matters for Christians is that Jesus has died for our sins, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that uh, we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Bible is the authority in our life. Those are the big things that we agree on. We may not agree on like you know certain n- nuances of the Bible, but Paul said, "I want you to agree in in perfect mind and thought." Now I think about I think about division. You know, we 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 haven't had a lot of division in our church. Our, we have a good church, but I can tell you where division started coming into the church. I think many churches had a lot of unity, but COVID. Brought division in church. How many, how many know that COVID just really kind of got people like, people are too emphatic about COVID issues. You know what I mean? So you got this. You got, you got, the, you got the mass people and you got the no mass people. How many know we had that, you know, in the church? Not just Bayshore. Every church. had You got the no-mask people. Somebody said, I'm not coming back to church. Can I I be a free man? You know, take my mask off. I I get that. I understand. So we had divisions about that. Then you got the comply with the government people. And then you got the government can take a hike people. You got those people. (laughs) You got the registration people. And then you got the non-registration people. Then you got the vaccine people and the non-vaccine people. I made the stupidest mistake I made in a long time. The other day, I was at Marshall's. I met a person, a couple I knew. They don't go to Bayshore, but I met them. We're just talking. They're Christians. And and the the conversation lulled. And so I just, I was thinking of something to say, well, you all had the vaccine? What a dumb thing to say. (laughs) I could hear the bear trap being set, you know, and they were pulling my head toward it. And so I went, I had this 20-minute Explanation from non-scientific people about the science behind the above the back the back through the vaccines, and I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? <laughs> Let me just say this: you know, COVID has been hard on Christian leaders because it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to. People aren't going to like him. Let me tell you something. Our Bayshore team has done an amazing job. And Cotter Johnson here in this campus has guided us through all the details of COVID, and we could not have done it without Cotter. Cotter's been an incredible leader with, uh, with our organization. Whenever we have a confusion, we just ask Cotter. Cotter knows what Governor Carney's going to th- say before he says it. He knows that. But, you know, Paul said, you're all divided. You're divided about church leaders. You're divided, you know, some of you say Paul's the man, and Paul's the founder of the church, and Paul was, uh, you know, a great scribe, a great rabbi, and so some people said, we're Paul. We're Paul people. We love Paul. He was educated under Gamaliel, one of the great rabbis of the day. He was highly educated, brilliant, driven, no-nonsense kind of guy. I don't think you'd go to Paul for counseling. He just kind of told you how it was. Paul's that guy. And then said some people, no, we like Apollos. Apollos was a guy from Alexander, Egypt. He was like a Harvard grad. The Bible says he knew the Scripture thoroughly, and he was a bold, eloquent speaker. He was an incredible orator. And so some people say, man, I like pa- Apollos speaking. I mean, he is good. He is seriously good. Then some people say, we like Cephas now Cephas, maybe you don't know who Cephas is. Cephas is Peter. That's Peter. Cephas is uh, the word rock in Aramaic, and it's another word for Peter. Some people, we like Peter. Peter, Peter walked with Jesus, and Peter walked on the water. How about that? Our man walked on the water. That's who we are going with. We're going with Peter. Peter. Peter, Peter wasn't educated. He was a fisherman. He was blue-collar. He just told you how it was. He, was not, he didn't have a big vocabulary. You read his letters in, in Greek, I mean, very unsophisticated Greek. He was a just a blue-collar farmer kind of guy. He just told you how it was, and we like Peter. He walked with Jesus. Some people said, well, <laughs> we just like Jesus. We just like Jesus. We don't like Paul. We don't like Apollos. We don't like Peter. We're just Jesus people. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But they were the arrogant, kind of like, you know, we don't need anybody kind of people. Just Jesus talks to us. Personally, He loves us so much. He doesn't have, we don't have anything to do with anybody else. <laughs> Whenever you find somebody that's anti human leader and they're just overly mystical, let me just tell you, you're going to have some weird people on your hands. I had a guy that came to Basher when I first started preaching. I wasn't good enough for him. He'd bring his wife drop her off to the church, he would come in, and he would read a book in the foyer because he didn't think I had enough to offer him. And I said, Lord, please take him away. Lord, just take that man. Send him to another church down the road. So the Lord did 20 years later. So anyhow, it's a really... (laughs) But here's the deal. Paul said, I wasn't crucified for you. Peter wasn't crucified for you. Apollos wasn't crucified for you. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. All of our heroes, all the people we love, we keep them in the shadow of Jesus. Our favorite preachers, our favorite leaders, we never elevate the messenger above the message. We keep our, our leaders in the shadow of Jesus. Jesus. You know, leaders are gifts from the Lord. You know, God gave us leaders. God gave you Joel. Uh, God gave you guys Cotter. God gave uh, femic Island, uh, Pastor Jeremy. And, and uh, we're all gifts to the church. But here's what it says in Ephesians chapter uh, 4. It says this really cool scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was he who gave, everybody say gave, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Joel has been given to you by Jesus. Cotter has been given to you by Jesus. Leaders are gifts from Jesus to us. And it says in Revelation, listen to this, In his right hand he held stars. Stars are the pastors of the churches, seven churches. So in one sense it says the pastors are stars. You know, that's an interesting thing, not in the Hollywood sense, but it says, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face shone like the shining brightness of the sun. And then verse 19, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand... Right hand is authority. Leaders have been given authority by God. And the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels. Now they're stars, now they're angels. Angels is the word anglios. It means the messenger. And the seven angels to the seven churches. So leaders are gifts from Jesus to the church. And make sure you encourage your leaders. Encourage Cotter. Encourage Pastor Joel, you know, speaking every week. Just give them some encouragement. Let them, boy, that sermon blessed me. And Jesus really worked through you. You know, Jerry Seinfeld said that, you know, the, 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 he said that the, the, the greatest fear that humans have is public speaking. That's the number, he said that's the number one. Death is number two. And he said, uh, you know, that means the guy at the funeral that's given the eulogy would rather be the guy in the casket than being the guy giving the eulogy. So make sure you encourage Joel. Encourage your leaders, which you do so well. I know you do so well. But here's the deal. Here's, here's the closing. I, I've been... I've I always wanted to know more about art. I don't know a lot about art. I, I went through all these college degrees, and I never really took an art appreciation class. And I, I know what the Mona Lisa is, though. And the Mona Lisa in... And the Louvre, Paris, the Mona Lisa. If you go to the... anybody seen the Mona Lisa? Some of you have, and I've never seen the Mona Lisa. It's pretty small, but uh, you know, Connie. But you know, if you go to to Paris and you go to the Louvre and you and you and you see the Mona Lisa, just 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 imagine what would happen if you go there. And the Mona Lisa is not on the wall, but they have the paintbrushes and a little can in front of where the Mona Lisa's supposed to be. And they say, well, we, the Mona Lisa, we, we got the warehouse. I mean, it's no big deal. But, but these are the paintbrushes that painted the Mona Lisa. Every leader that God uses is a paintbrush in the hand of God. So Paul says, don't elevate the paintbrush above the artist. Jesus is The focus of Bayshore, say it with me, Jesus Jesus. is the ultimate ultimate. focus of Bayshore. Would you lift your hands to the Lord as Cotter comes? Just let the Holy Spirit, just let your eyes be on Jesus this week. Just get your focus on Jesus this week. See Jesus in a fresh way. Let the Holy Spirit just help you to fall more in love with Jesus. He's working. You're a a set-apart person. You've been called by God in this community, and, and the Lord is with you. So, Father, as I pray for Rehoboth and as I pray for Millsboro right now and as I pray for Fenwick Island, I thank you that you're making us and our online campus, you're making us a movement in our community of set-apart, consecrated people that are serving and loving Jesus in our community, and we thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. And if you love the Lord, say a big amen. 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 Bless you guys. God bless you. Great to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.